So who is calling it a bull run? It's a bull run. If you started in March 23rd or 26th of this year, right. you can't have these companies without profit trading at 20 and 22 billion dollar market cap. Nothing is never uh, in and nothing is ever out. It all depends on the mixture, not only of price, but the management also learning how to deal with being listed. That people are upset with China and India separately is doing well because right. there are 42 or 43 mutual fund companies. Yeah. And if you see the tail, they have no reason to exist. Neither their performance is good, nor their brand is some great fund management brand. Neither is their fund manager having a lot of history. But it's nearly guaranteed to lose money if you react to news. Uh-huh. And more information that equity market will beat everything else. That means when markets are bad, you're not supposed to leave. Everyone to another exciting episode of Talks with Dalat, where we aim to deconstruct the seemingly complex world of finance and empower investors to take better and relevant investment decisions. My name is Varun Fatehpuria and I am the founder and CEO of Dalat Wealth Management. Today, we have a very special guest on our show, someone who doesn't really need any introduction. He has been doing this for over 30 years. So yet I'll do my best to do justice to that. Please join me in welcoming Samir Arora to the show today. Samir, it is a pleasure to have you on our show. Well, thank you very much. And we hope that we have a good conversation so that your viewers enjoy it. Thank you. Samir is the founder and main fund manager at Helios Capital. Prior to founding Helios Capital from 1998 to 2003, Samir held the position of Head of Asian Emerging Markets at Alliance Capital Management in Singapore. And prior to that, headed the company's Indian mutual fund business from 1993 to 2003. During his tenure at Alliance Capital, Samir's India-dedicated mutual fund garnered significant attention, receiving over 15 awards, including a prestigious AAA rating from Standard & Poor. Samir's expertise and astute investment strategies have been consistently acknowledged by the industry and media today. The Helio Strategic Fund, which he has managed was nominated for the Best India Fund by Eureka Hedge Fund multiple times and won the award on four occasions. His academic background is equally impressive. He went on to earn an undergraduate degree in engineering from Indian Institute of Technology in Delhi in, 1990, in 1983 sorry, and went on to complete his postgraduate and diploma in management from Indian Institute of Management, Calcutta in 1985. In 1992, he pursued a degree in Master's in Finance from the Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania, ultimately receiving the prestigious Dean's Award. Join us as we delve into Samir's industry's experience, his wealth of experience, and how we can all learn from what's happening in the market today. So, Samirji, let's get started by, obviously, I think the obvious, the markets are at an all-time high right now. But I think it is only really breaching the levels that it was achieved approximately 18 months back uh, from October, September of 2021. So obviously it is a very euphoric movement. We are seeing a lot of interest from retail investors and foreign institutional investors alike. From your vantage, what is your reading of the market? Because again, typically we have seen with our uh, little experience that we have in dealing with investors, they want to book profits at this point in time, yet somehow the thing is to stay invested. What is your advice? What is your view of the markets at this point in time? In a big picture sense, there is no discussion. We have to be remain invested and add to investment. So let's see big picture. Big picture, if you look at last five-year returns, 
for the index, they are in the range of 14.5% per annum. If you look at the returns for the last 10 years, they'll be by chance, I saw yesterday or day before, exactly 14% per yeah. If you look at last 15 years, that is starting from 2008, then they are a little higher because 2009 and all good years. And if you look at it last 20 years, it means plus minus this range, maybe it is 16, 17% per annum. If you look at now, this year's returns for half the year. At the nifty level, the returns are 9%. So annualize them for every 18, 19%. So it's not out of line. Right. So what anyway, I mean the normal returns of our market in one any one year. I mean annualized because you don't get it exactly in any one year. Secondly, if you look at last year, the returns were up some three, four percent. If you look at it in dollar. One and a half years, the returns would be zero. So last year, the, the rupee depreciated by like 10%. So if you look at it from December 31, 2021, the returns are zero. So who is calling it a bull run? It's a bull run if you started in March 23rd or 26th of this year. Correct. So broadly speaking, you are getting this range of 13, 15% return per annum. You never get it in any one year that return, but over time, it analyzes to that. And therefore, you go on unless you see two, three years of much higher return than this. That happened many times. It happened in 2006, 7, 8, or sorry, 5, 6, 7, where the index return would have been 40% per annum for three years. So as you go that, you might get carried away, but you can at least say, oh, you know, three years or 40% means that much of it will have to be given back. Today, there is no such situation. Secondly, the global world for last one and a half years was selling in FIs. Last one and a half years, not now, but last year and six months of the previous year. And we sold maybe 30, 40 billion of Indian stocks. During that time, the domestic guys were buying. But logically and reasonably, we can assume one day very soon or maybe already happening, that both FIs and DIIs buy because that is normally what happens. Yeah. FIs also normally buy and DIIs, at least for the last four or five years, have been net buy. So there is nothing that has happened. The market over a slightly longer period, that is one and a half years, is that nothing so great for us to see that lock the profits it leaves. Yeah, and, and, and speaking a bit specifically about these sectors, obviously, we know, I think you've taken a lot of contrarian bets in the past and you're not really afraid to call out the run-up in the valuations that we saw in most of the new age technology companies that got listed somewhere in 2020, 2021, where you uh, accurately pointed out, I think the anti-valuation was not really good to enter into most of these stocks. And yet we see in the last six to eight months, I think you have initiated positions for, in the likes of Paytm and Zomato. Uh, what, in your view, are things from a Helios point of view? What has really changed since then? Obviously, the valuations tends to be beaten down a lot, so you get a much better entry price. But from a business perspective, if you want to touch it, so in the case of ATN, any business or the fact that they created a brand and a ubiquitous brand and that everybody knows it, it was very powerful. But you can't have these companies without profit trading at twenty and twenty-two billion dollar. But more than that, you have a sudden spurt of four or five times from the last funding round is what I knew that will have to be given up 
because it is not that the private equity guy should normally come and make five times in through here. And so uh, it listed at whatever or IPO at 2050. We finally bought it at 550. Uh, actually, the low was 400 and something. Yeah. And the idea was that over this time, because there was a, a freeze of new funding, so all these uh, newly listed stocks and newly unlisted ones also discovered that they cannot do it the way they were doing it, which is grow at any cost. Then the market at some point after being around for 10 years as private companies or maybe longer, we want you to show progress on revenue and at least a proper business model that how will you break even and then how will you make money? So in the case of Paytm, after trying different things, they finally um, came to this model, which according to us makes sense, that they can see the payment going through their app via the QR code saying to many retailers who are otherwise small and whose data is not available to the banks and other lenders. And from the whatever millions of guys that are on this platform, they can lend to the top 10, 20%. They know if one retailer uh, or seller is getting 2,000 rupees from Paytm every day, then we can lend him something there. Correct. His installment is 600 rupees a day. So then we are still paying him some 1,400 rupees and he's paying each installment on a daily basis. So that looks like a decent business model because there's a need for it and you are explicitly showing how data is being used in a lending decision. And so a thing like that. And then they had $1 billion cash. And we said, that's fine. Now, actually, now the stock has gone up a lot. So I don't know. It says gone up a lot. If for Zomato, the stock listed at some 76, or IPO at 76. Yeah, 36. Went to one, God, 140 or 50. We bought it at 52. In bottom at 42. So uh, that time the thing became on that day, the stock previous day had gone limit up from 42 to whatever 50 or 52. Basically, because they said that now they are not going to fund uh, loss making businesses and that their uh, investment in Blinkit will be capped at some seller market grow or whatever number it was at that time. Broadly speaking, the lesson is. Nothing is never uh, in and nothing is ever out. It all depends on the mixture, not only of price, but the management also learning how to deal with being listed. Prior to that, these guys were trying to be very out. That is actually both, but definitely Zohato, saying that we will not do quarterly calls that basically, you know, you take it or leave it kind of a yeah. situation. The CEO never came at the IPO time to do calls or to meet investors. That was his moment of glory. But after that, the stock market teaches everyone to behave. <laughs> so, and that business is also not easy to do. Right. It is a business where uh, some third guy can say, I'm coming in and I'll start with this part of the market because you have to tie up everybody from restaurants to Get the customer to get the rider partner. That's not an easy. It's a, it's a tech. It's not a tech company. It's a tech plus a little complicated logistics. Logistics company. Better. Twenty rupees per order. 
Correct. And the good thing, if I give me 25 rupees, my life will change. So that is the kind of it's a top business. Therefore, it is a good business actually if it works. And then Swiggy is unlisted. So Swiggy can't act tough. Because if Zomato stock price does not go, Swiggy cannot go public. It's very simple. So the even though they were otherwise till some months ago equal in market share, Swiggy had to back off. It has to actually at a conceptual level let Zomato price go up so that it can price itself off that. Right. Yeah. So otherwise, who will, if Zomato is below IPO, how does Swiggy go public so easily? Unless there's really them come there and uh, value shape. So it was many. So somebody just wanted to switch gears a bit. Obviously, I think where we are seeing a recalibration of sort in the in the in the sectors of the economy, right? I think we are also seeing some recalibration in the way the money is flowing into the emerging markets, right? Obviously, I think China plus one strategy. All the big money managers were pretty much overweight into China leading up to 2019, 2020. COVID happened. I think obviously, I think that had taken a lot of beating, but also the recovery since 2023 in China has not really panned out in a manner which a lot of the market participants had actually envisaged. Uh, what is your view of, you know, the China uh, market at this point in time? It continues to remain the second largest economy, the largest consumer base. So all of those things still go for them. But from an investment point of view, as a manager, how do you view it? No, oh, what I can see is that, you know, over 8, 10, 15 and 20 years and 25 years, China has broadly done badly as a, for the market. I mean, as a for equity investors. And so people can take it up to a point if they say, oh, now it has become cheap and therefore I'll play for a trading bounce and all that. But foreign investors and particularly US type, these big endowment type investors cannot, I think, take it. If it looks at part of these returns have been lost because of top-down macro decisions which are aimed at a different purpose. For example, if you say that because uh, Chinese families or women cannot have children or are not having children because cost of education is high. So I will cut the cost of tuition, if the government says, to, and they made it not for profit. That looks like a random top-down decision, which no individual investor or company official could have figured out. These things happened again and again. For example, Didi, which is the Chinese Ola, went public, I think, uh, post or maybe 21, and it went public at some $16, $17, check it out on Google. And one week later, they, that company was raided by PD Village, saying that this data of basically we traveling from place A to place B is very sensitive data, and foreign listed companies should not have access to it. And therefore, that company has been taken private, I think, at two or three dollars. And now they're saying one day we'll list it in Hong Kong. So there were many such issues which have deeply upset the foreign investors over and above the fact that they never made any returns. If they had made returns, they would not be so upset. But yeah. <laughs> don't make returns, and then you are getting targeted or screwed by actions. The term not related to competition or general economy that makes you more helpless. For whatever reason, they are upset with China. The other reason for being upset is that the U.S. system at large or the U.S. government itself is becoming strongly 
taking china as a strategic threat and a competitor and no longer as a poor country to be held or an emerging country to be held and that is why they are putting india on a pedestal with a system to say that we have another country which is like our new friend which we should enjoy but i say that our investment story cannot be only that people are upset with china yeah it can be that people are upset with china and india separately is doing well doing well then it makes easy you know it doesn't be some difficult thing of investors saying yeah but you know just because i have no choice and i have to come to india no 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 india is doing well so anyway you should have come but since you were too lazy to come now separately china is doing badly so now you better come so it's this combo which i think people are accepting or have accepted or will accept because india's returns have been very good in the last 20 and 25 years we are number 1 in the world not literally is every country but again the big pools of money which is us market europe asia asia and japan japan china emerging markets means all of them indian market in dollar terms is number 1 for 20 years and 25 years and number 2 after us for 5 10 and 15 so so our story should not be that this is the best time to invest in india this is the golden era because then it looks that as it previously the market was not doing i don't want to talk it is that we were generally doing well and now we have more masala to show you that we should continue to do well and then maybe you have a higher confidence that we will do well but hey our market was already doing well all our life because we had these great companies we were a great bottom up story and now with those bottom up companies we also have good macro story of you know our inflation is in control the currency or the current account deficit is a bit less we have digitalization we are beneficiaries of china plus one both from stock market flows but also from these supply chain kind of guys then the story is complete and that is why people are thinking that absolutely yeah the technicality because now we have a domestic pool of money so it can if you sell there is somebody who can buy it yeah. not driven by efforts things like so it's all adding So just sticking to Asia, just one one last piece of thing that we wanted to understand. Obviously, I think what's really happening in the Japanese market, right, over the last six to eight months, it has sort of been a renaissance of sorts. Obviously, I think I don't know if something fundamentally has changed in the Japanese economy that to 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 show the the kind of performance that the equity markets has uh the the performed over the last six to eight months. What is what is your reading at the? So what could just be that the Japanese guys did not increase their interest rates. so the japanese currency has depreciated like man i think it's depreciated 15% yes so you know when the rest of the world has 5 6% interest rate and japanese guys say our interest rates are still i think minus 10 basis point interest rate like that then obviously the speculation will converge there and in dollar term they may not have done as well as they have done in local currency depreciated Same thing happens in any market in India. If you depreciate the currency, the foreigner may not make as much money, but the local on paper inflation, uh, all that, just the markup of those assets 
go related to the world. And second is that sometimes some of them things they have been in a funk since 1989. So someday they have to do well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It may be driven initially by uh, speculation and then somebody will say that I am buying it at a 28 year low or something. And so it goes on and then it becomes that, oh God, it's so much part of the index and I don't have it. Who knows? But it's, it's not something great, long-term thing that is happening there. Right, yeah. There's no life in that economy because they are not opening themselves to immigration and they are going old every day. So beyond a point, what can, what can do well there in such a sort of a dull economy in that so Sujin, there's some EG a bit and talking specifically about Helios, right? I mean, uh, finally, the the firm got its approval to launch its mutual fund business in India some time back. Uh, what, from your point of view, I think, uh, you think uh, Helios yeah, haven't got, got, have got it? Okay. So what we've got is in-principle approval. approval. Which then, basically, once you get in-principle approval, you're supposed to invest the money and hire people and do the compliance officers and manuals and choose between cams and carvey and various servers. But all that we have done. So now we are we are waiting for the license. Okay. So, so the, the license for it. Yeah. We are hoping to get it sometime maybe next thirty days or sixty days, but not five months. After that in two, three months we can launch. Okay, so how do you uh, think what com- differentiation would be? So the difference is that we are primarily driven by fund managers and not by businessmen looking for diversification. We are not doing it because we have done already steel and cement and now we need financial services or that we have clients coming for something else so what to sell them? Oh, I can sell your mutual fund. We are active fund managers and we have performance which is a big good. And therefore, we are doing it from a point where we are going to do only active management and we are only going to do at least initially only equity and then we are going to sell our performance in history. Okay, got it. I think, yeah, definitely, I think it, it looks like a crowded market, but I think the, the underpenetration is such. It is it's not crowded. Not, okay. It's not crowded because then 42 or 43 mutual fund companies. Yeah. And if you see the tail, they have no reason to exist. Neither their performance is good, nor their brand is some great fund management brand. Neither is their fund manager having a lot of history. But the other 15, 20 guys are good. The bigger guys are because they are not big goals. But the market is relatively, like if you start and say from 2016, it's like six, seven year old history. If you look at the previous life, Alliance Capital, where I was the first employee, uh, we were not having any domestic partner. And we were competing with all these big guys like HDFC and ICICI and Birla, Templeton, who all had big foreign brand names, plus also had domestic partners and therefore a starting connection public with them. But by 2003, we were India's biggest mutual fund company equities. Uh, and I was India's biggest mutual fund manager in equities among the all the new guys. And including the UTI and all Uber office at that time, I guess. So it was done. Of course, now we can't do that rank kind of thing because the big guys have become very big in uh, 
15, 20 years. But in flows, you can, you can have a fair share of even money because when they show our performance is a bit different from it. But the retail investor also tends to be a lot more volatile compared to, let's say, an institutional investor that would be investing with you in a PMS or an AI. Actually, well, actually, I don't agree with that. Actually, the institutional investor is being run by an individual who's in charge of that allocation. So it depends on him also. We have seen the biggest endowments redeeming in 2008 and some other endowments saying to somebody that this is my time to invest. It's all the same. Individuals are the same, right? Even if he's working in a company, it depends on his style. So over time, the advantage of retail is that because there are over time, I get millions of them, or lakhs of them, or whatever, millions of them, that over time, that has a lot of value. The granularity has a lot of value. Somebody is managing money for 10 guys is every day subject to the board of those 10 guys. Right. Well, who knows? It all depends. Basically, if we get to know where they should stay, if we do badly, it is better for us if they don't stay because then there's less pressure on us because the guys left and take. But broadly, we have done well all our lives starting from 95. So we are confident of that. So maybe that's a good point that you mentioned that would segue into my sort of like the second last question where obviously I think investors today, primarily retail investors, have so much access to news. There's this firewall of information that they have access to where they can constantly try to, you know, make a judgment call or make an investment decision based on, let's say, what they are hearing currently us talking or what they hear on the news, right? Yet we intuitively know that's not a very good strategy to stay invested in the markets. And that's something that we typically like to sort of like deal with. So what would your advice be to those investors? It is nearly guaranteed to lose money if you react to news. So I'll explain in one line. Then let us say that before the event of some result or something, now the trading is going on. In theory, because the guy, suppose the HDFC bank has to, has to come in 10 minutes. Now, right now, the volume of trading will be very high. But why will somebody be trading 10 minutes before the result? That means the buyer is thinking, assume everything is constant, that the results will be good or better than expected. And the fellow who's selling 10 minutes before the results is thinking that the results will be bad. Correct? Otherwise, why are you selling? Right? Now, one minute or five or 10 or 20 minutes after the results are out, now everybody has that result. Does the volume of trading go down? No. Actually, once everybody, now obviously they're not trading for next quarter will be bad. Now they're just reacting to the what right. It's correct. Now the guy who's selling is saying, oh, I was expecting a good result, suppose, and it has come, now I should take my profit. A new guy will come in and say, I was waiting for this result to confirm that the result is good, so now I can buy. Point is, the still you're speculating after everybody has formally got the same information. Yeah. Is 10 minutes before you could say somebody's thinking this, somebody's thinking that. So it is obvious that not everybody makes money because even after the event, is it a good result or not good result because somebody is selling, somebody is buying. So we say that these days, the value of information is nearly zero. It is only how to interpret the 
information. For example, everybody knows that uh, that 2000 rupees Paytm, Paytm was making losses and later said that they were being arrogant. Somebody said it doesn't matter. We said it matters. You have to pay respect to the market. Everybody has a view. One day, it's not that only I knew that these guys are yeah. acting like this and somebody else said, no, I didn't know this. Otherwise, I would not have bought it. लेकिन हम कहते हैं ठीक है दूसरा बंदा कहता है नहीं ठीक Uh, that's a very humble point i think that you made right any zero sum game in trading because in a futures market in a cash market what happens you buy it and you hold it for a year the whole market goes up 10 12% so you will go up 10 12% but if you go you outperform the you go up you get less you will still be up most of the times in the market in futures market which is similar to this trading on an event it may not be actually done in the futures market would be done in the cash market but if you are trading very fast you are basically betting against the other guy so both cannot win by definition in futures both cannot win in just the way the market is and therefore half you are half gain on the end we find that 90% lose and 10% gain but everybody had the same information more or less the final question samir ji to you this is something that i ask uh, all my guests obviously given your decades of experience in the industry where you have seen multiple market cycles right i mean that 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 experience is really important where you have seen both the peak and the trough uh, what advice would you have to investors who are just getting started in the markets at this point in time or let 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 me put it other way what advice you wish you would have received 30 years back when you got into this money management business so no i i it worked for me <laughs> literally by chance or whatever but in general you have to believe in two things and you'll be all right number one is believe in equity not necessarily a stock but in equity is like there is no way that there should be any doubt about the fact that over time equities will beat everything else that you can do with the money with that style now if you are a guy who converts raw land into get some approval you want to make more money But broadly speaking, equity shall be debt, equity shall be gold, equity will be real estate for regular guys. It's given. Now the question is, equity beats debt by what is called equity risk premium, which is about five six percent per annum. But nothing in the market happens evenly. That means a fourteen percent return per annum. You are not going to get a single year which is between ten and eighteen percent, suppose. It will be minus twenty, then plus ten, then minus thirty, then plus twenty. But the point is, over time, it lands up that it follows the underlying earnings. That also I can prove mathematically to you, but leave it for now. Therefore, once you accept it that equity market will beat everything else, that means when markets are bad, you are not supposed to leave. You can pause if you are under pressure, but broadly, you are supposed to add. You don't have to add to the same fund manager with whom you might be upset. and not to the same stock but you don't leave the market so if the original market is going to beat everything else and you buy it on a correction right definition your new money 
because the old money has to recover everything. Yeah. And new money will return even more. And even the old money's return is generally the highest because you take any point to any point slightly longer, five, seven years, equity would have beaten more or less everything. So, and the second is belief in India because India has actually done well for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. But anyway, most of the guys in India are investing in India. So that part is easy. But it is a good story uh, in itself because the world is now choosing. So why not India? But that doesn't mean that India should invest outside. They should also invest 10, 20 percent, hedge, foreign uh, dollar investing. Why not? But broadly, equity is something you have to believe in and take it in. That you're not supposed to leave it so easily or at all. Great. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Samiji, for this thank insightful you. session. I think this was really wonderful. I think hopefully our audience uh, gets to learn quite a bit. I'm sure there's a lot of information that is being floating around. But to have someone of your caliber come and speak to us, I think that is uh, of great importance and value to us. And uh, for everyone uh, uh, who is uh, tuning into this uh, and listening to us on various platforms, please do subscribe for more such episodes. Thank you. And, we, and may they all make more dollars. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you. Okay.